Welcome to the Goodness Podcast, the Middle East first platform dedicated to tackling women's health in a real and honest way. I'm your host, Noor Tahini. My guest on the podcast today is Maria Abihanna, a nutritionist living in Dubai. Ahead of Christmas and the holiday season, she's joining me to break down the main principles of intuitive eating and tips to navigate the holiday season with as little guilt as possible. And side note, we wanted to keep bringing you valuable content this year. So this episode of the podcast was recorded over Zoom from my house where five dogs roam the garden. So I apologize for any barks that you may hear. We'll do our best to take them out. Please bear with us with the quality of the of the recording. So thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy this. Hi, Maria. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. We're really looking forward to our conversation today, actually. We're, today is what, December the 6th? Yes, December 6th. We're just a few days away, a few weeks away from Christmas, and it's really that season in Dubai where there's a lot more festivities and social gatherings and things like that and I imagine that's going to not be the same this year because of COVID yeah but people are still going to congregate in small groups and there there is going to be a lot of eating a lot of drinking and I think a lot of the same anxieties that a lot of people feel around the holiday seasons when it comes to food and drink food is the center of all these occasions and it's usually like the the, you know, everyone looks forward to the holidays to sort of overindulge around that time. Yeah, it's true. It's crazy how every holiday has like a meal component to it or a food component to it. Yeah. And everyone looks forward to it. You know, the turkey for Christmas, the Christmas log cake. It's and and I think, you know, and because everyone knows that they're just going to have it around that time and just just once a year. So It's interesting, yeah, how every ritual we have revolves around food. Yeah, I think it's because it, and that's why I I love it. Like I celebrate almost every holiday I can, I can get my hands on. But that's because it's all about coming together around a shared meal. So that's like the communal aspect of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So have you found that a lot of your patients or clients, I'm not sure how you refer to them, but have you, have you found that a lot of them have this anxiety around Christmas, holiday season, etc., and food? I have actually. What's interesting is a lot of my clients, I mean, I, I, I normally thought no one would want to be speaking to me in December because people just don't want to be speaking to a dietitian. But I've, I found more and more of my clients telling me, no, I really want to book a session with you right before the holidays. And, and the main theme is, you know, how to navigate the holidays, uh, how to, to kind of stay on track, but also mainly how not to feel anxious and how, how not to feel very guilty around food because around the holidays it's normal to overindulge in a few in a few things there are dishes that you know only happen once a year that that you want to be able to eat and enjoy so when a person's anxious or feels very guilty about eating these things it kind of takes away from the joy of eating and i think a lot of people more and more now don't want to feel that guilt about you know them having put on one or two kilos around the holiday, which, which is okay sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and they don't want to feel the guilt of, of, you know, overeating and then after a meal and saying, uh, I wish I didn't have that. So, yeah, I think there is a lot of anxiety around the holidays of 
what should we do? Because I think the diet culture has all these rules of, you know, don't eat that, you should deprive yourself of that, switch this to this, which is a bit overwhelming, especially around the holiday season when maybe you want to forget a bit about all these rules and restrictions. What's the difference between indulging and overindulging, in your opinion? I think, I mean, for me, my, and that's some, a, a main theme I speak to a lot of, with my clients is, is the importance of mindful eating and intuitive eating. So I always tell my clients, eat what you want, but when you do eat that, make sure you eat it mindfully. By mindfully, I mean, make sure you eat slowly, make sure you engage all your five senses, your eyes, your sense of smell, notice the food, the texture, make sure there are no distractions when you're eating, no TV, no social media, make sure you're sitting down at the table. And most importantly, it takes our stomach 20 minutes to send a signal to our brain that we're full. So when we do eat very quickly, which is interesting because when you start timing yourself for lunch and dinner, you realize very few of us take these 20 to 30 minutes to finish our food. A lot of us finish our food in 10, 15 minutes. We end up missing the signal, so we end up overeating. So for me, I tell them like, indulge and eat, but just try to listen to your body. And when you do tend to eat slowly, you, number one, enjoy the food more. Number two, you're able to track your fullness signal. So when you are full, your body will tell you that because you wouldn't miss the signal by eating too quickly. And number three, which for me is the most important thing, don't feel guilty about what you're eating. Even if you feel like what you're eating might not be on the healthier side, and I'm very against labeling food, but just, you know, just a bit more slightly unhealthier than what you'd normally eat. What's really important is not feeling bad about it, because when you do feel bad about it, the craving you've had is not really satisfied. So Mm. I think, I mean, for me, the difference between indulging and overindulging is when you do overindulge, a lot of us maybe tend to eat mindlessly and we might also tend to not listen to our body signals. So we, we do end up maybe overeating because, you know, we feel it's the only time we're going to be able to get that meal because we've been deprived or restricted from it. Or we feel we've, we're doing something bad by eating that meal. So we eat it too mm. quickly. And, and that, I think, is where, you know, all the anxiety and guilt around food stems from. It's Again, you know, all these rules and regulations that we put on ourselves or that have been instilled in us because of the diet culture. So I was going to say when you were saying that um, people feel like maybe this is their only chance to eat this. My uh, my old therapist, Dr. Karin Elkhazen, who did the program on eating disorders with me, and I've spoken about it on the podcast before, but she had a word for it. She called it fuck it mentality. <laughs> so basically, you sit down in front of food that normally you, you would never eat during the year because they don't apply to your food philosophy or your food rules or whatever it is. And it's like your brain goes, ah, fuck it. You know, it's like, (laughs) it's one time. And so I'm going to eat as much of it as I possibly can. And as a result, you get a really, probably like a really hard reaction to it, or you really feel terrible after it, more because of the amount of food that you ate, rather than the actual food that you ate. It wasn't like... It wasn't like the sugar or the, the maybe potentially it wasn't the sugar or the gluten, for example, that did that to you. It was how much you ate of it and how you mixed everything. And so it kind of, but then 
people don't realize that and it reinforces their belief that this food is bad for them. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it's also sometimes we put so much value on food that we give it actually a moral value, you know, that this is good. If, if it's healthy, we feel like we're good people because we're eating it. And if, if we, we label it as bad, we feel we're bad people for eating it. Mm. So when, when you give food a moral value, we're, we're, we're actually judging ourselves as well. And when we do that, we're going to end up feeling even more guilty. We might, again, overeat just because, you know, we think, you know, that feeling will just be a temporary thing. So might as well just you know, feel bad about it now because I'm never going to do it again. But reality is, I think, and this is so important, we have to start thinking about food as food. I mean, why is it that we've, food has become, we've, we've given food a moral value? Like, why do we judge ourselves based on what we eat when food really, at the end of the day, is just food? Can you, do you argue with the fact, though, that there is food that is better for you and food that is less good for you, not that is good or bad and in an intrinsic moral way, but some food that is better for your body and some food that is worse for your body. Definitely. I mean, and, and I'm a big believer of intuitive eating and, and their philosophies. And, and with intuitive eating, one of the main philosophy is uh, nourish your body. So, and when I do sit with my clients, I tell them, Ideally, the way you need to think about food is everything you you put into your body will help, you know, will help feed your body and nourish it with the right vitamins and minerals. And at the end of the day, intuitive eating isn't about you eating whatever you want or eating all the, you know, things that are not very good for you. But it's it's also about recognizing that, you know, it's okay if 20 or 30% of your time, you're eating things that might not be as great for you as long as the rest of it is, is just within that perspective of at the end of the day, food is medicine. Food is what's going to help, you know, honor your health, the nourish your system. It helps you fight diseases. So it's very important that, you know, you do end up eating healthy. There's a friend of mine, I remember she was reading about intuitive eating and she was worried that her body would tell her intuitively to just eat like popcorn or something. <laughs> But that doesn't happen, right? Like no. If you actually listen to your body, your body will not end up telling you to intuitively eat junk food or yeah. in the sense of like processed packaged treats and stuff like that all the time. Exactly. No, and it, it really won't. And it's so interesting because... I've, I've realized with a lot of my clients that when I tell them, you know, they can eat, I don't know, uh, chocolate as much as they want, or, you know, they can order from uh, a fast food place as much as they want. And they look at you like, you know, have you gone nuts? But mm -hmm. they, you realize they don't really end up eating as much as they want. In fact, they have more control over the food just because all of a sudden they've given themselves that unconditional permission to eat, right? So... I think it, you know, the more you restrict yourself, the more you're going to want something. And then all of a sudden when it's there and you haven't really like given much thought about it or you haven't really labeled it or given it that moral value that people put or that importance, your body doesn't crave it as much. I think there's a caveat also that needs to be mentioned when talking about intuitive eating is that not everyone can intuitive eat and that people who have a history of eating disorders or who are currently battling an, uh, an eating disorder, unfortunately, 
their body is not send is is so I don't know how you would phrase this actually, but for example, someone who's anorexic should not try intuitive eating because their yeah. body will keep telling them that they're full even though they're not. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, kind of like yeah. the mind taking over. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I specialize in eating disorders personally, and and definitely wouldn't recommend it for anyone who's anorexic, bulimic, even with binge eating. Because you don't have the signals of hunger and fullness. Yeah, so it takes it takes a long time to kind of get your body back to a place where it understands its signals. Exactly. And, yeah. Okay, so could I ask you to just take a step back and kind of explain the, the I don't want to say rules, but the different tenets of intuitive eating? How does it work exactly? From, from like a step-by-step, step, in, in a step-by-step step way, but also how does it work in a biological way? So, so in a biological way, it's very simple. It's really, I mean, it's simple theoretically, but then, you know, when you talk to people, you realize it's, it's not as easy to put it in practice. So from a biological way, it's very simple. It's basically really tuning into your hunger cues and your fullness levels. And a lot of us, unfortunately, have lost touch with when we're really hungry, how we feel hunger, where we feel hunger, and how full we are and when we are actually full. And I think it has to do with a lot of times our childhood days, uh, you know, when we're kids, we're a lot of us were maybe overfed. Sometimes maybe we're underfed. If we ha- have been on many diets in our lives, also following calorie counted restrictions, there's a lot of rules in the media about how we should be eating. So from that end, we, that's what kind of helped made us lose touch with our hunger levels and our, our fullness cues. And, and generally with my counseling, this is a huge theme, at least in the first session, is how do you know when you're hungry? Mm-hmm. Uh, what type of hunger is it? What a lot of people don't know is there are actually seven different types of hunger. And we kind of start pinpointing what type of hungry are you? To see, are you really stomach hungry, which is supposedly supposed to be the real type of hunger, or is it the other six different types of hunger? What are the six uh, different types of hunger? <laughs> so, so when it comes to uh, hunger, there's basically the first type of hunger is called eye hunger. And with eye hunger, it's, you know, when, when, you know, you see something that really, really looks good, but you're not really hungry, mm. uh, but you just have it anyway. So that's eye hunger. Then you have nose hunger and nose hunger is, you know, when you pass next to a bakery, you smell the Mm. freshly baked bread. You just walk in and and have that. So that's nose hunger. Uh, Then you have something called mouth hunger. And mouth hunger is usually when you're sitting in front of the TV, when you're working, when you're studying, and you feel like your mouth needs to be crunching on something, Mm. which a lot of people tend to do more, you know, out of also stress or anxiety. They feel like their mouth needs to be constantly moving. So that's mouth hunger. Then you have stomach hunger, which is the real type of hunger, which also when I ask a lot of my clients, where do you feel hunger? A lot of people point to their lower stomach, to their middle stomach. They point to different areas. and, And ideally, the only place you should really, really feel Hunger is in your upper stomach, which is on its own something we practice throughout our sessions where, you know, try to tune in. Are you really feeling it in your upper stomach or not? So then there's stomach hunger is number four. 
Number five is mind hunger, which I find very interesting, which is, you know, all the rules and uh, that we put. So, you know, I need to eat five meals a day to speed up my metabolism. I should have lunch because it's one o'clock and it's time for lunch. But again, what happens if you're not hungry at one? Maybe you're hungry mm. at two, you know? So, so it's all these rules that we have. And then you have cellular hunger. Cellular hunger is when your, your cells need nutrients. So a lot of us, for example, mistaken thirst for hunger. So when you're, when you're thirsty, you think you're hungry, but you're actually thirsty. And then the last one is heart hunger, which uh, I think personally is, is one of the biggest problems for a lot of us is, is emotional hunger. So, you know, we eat because we're sad, we're lonely, we're happy, we're angry. So that's heart hunger. So if we go back to intuitive eating, I think, you know, the main principle of it is recognizing your hunger cues. What type of hunger is it? And then also recognizing when you're full. And I always tell my clients, you know, did you stop eating because what's on your plate is finished or because you were full or did what what's the right portion for you is it the restaurant delivered that portion you decided to finish it we were also you know uh, me personally at least growing up in a middle eastern family i was taught you should never throw food you should mm. always finish what's on your plate which i see i see the the reason behind it but at the same time you're you might also be causing your, your child to overeat at that point. You know, if, if you're full, you should be able to leave the table without finishing your plate. So the, this is one of the main themes behind intuitive eating. The second theme of intuitive eating is about making peace with food and giving yourself that unconditional permission to eat. So, and by making peace with food, it's about, you know, we're always in that constant struggle internal struggle of, you know, I'm a bad person. I ruined my diet today. I'm good. I had salad for lunch and all these food labeling or these inner thoughts and beliefs that come in our heads about, you know, whether we're good or bad, depending on what we eat, what we eat. And we put all these rules and regulations. So it's really important that when you do make peace with food and when you do give yourself that unconditional permission to eat, Believe me, you end up choosing the right foods, which is something we just talked about. So, so you, it's not like you're going to go on a junk food, uh, you know, uh, festival or anything like that. You, you will and your body will naturally move more towards healthier options. And then um, uh, also like sort of when you stop depriving yourself and restricting yourself from things that you normally think are bad for you, you'll end up. Stop, you, you won't end up binging or overeating with, when, you're, when you're having them. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, the last two principles with intuitive eating is about obviously exercise, which is something we should not forget, and moving not to be burning calories in the gym, which is something I really don't like. It's moving more just, you know, for health reasons, to, to reduce your stress levels, to, to, um, uh, to move your muscles, to get oxygen in and out of your body, to feel good about yourself mm. and honoring your health and, you know, uh, thinking of food as more nourishment versus, uh, in some cases, you know, we think about it as the enemy yeah. or, or... Absolutely. From experience, I've, I've always found the part of knowing when I was hungry very easy 
But knowing when to stop eating is actually really, really, really yeah. difficult. Knowing when you're full, especially if you've spent the better part of your life, you know, always finishing your plate or... Yeah. And I found that the only time that I can actually ever do this successfully is if I am eating by myself and without any distraction, which is so yeah. rare. Yeah. No, it's true. And and I think it it is... It, it is harder to get to know when you're full, especially when we work on something called the hunger scale, where, you know, you rate your hunger from one being starving to 10 being super full. And the hunger scale says, ideally, you need to leave the table at a seven out of 10, mm, which mm, is mm. 70 to 80 percent full versus 100. So getting to know what a 70 percent or 80 percent is, is pretty hard. But that's yeah. where, again, mindful eating has to happen. And I remember Dr. Kane kept telling me, she's like, stop saying you're starving. You're not <laughs> starving and you're not going to starve. Like, nothing about you is going to starve, you know? But it's something it's we use so much. Like, oh my God, yeah. I'm starving. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Do you think that there is enough time for someone to learn intuitive eating before the, before the Christmas like week or before sort of the end of December? Or is it something that takes a really long time to cultivate? I mean, I, th I think it, 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 it does take a bit of time to practice because obviously like it's you really relearning how to kind of eat, which is something maybe you've been doing for like, I don't know, 15, 20 years. So mm -hmm. it, it doesn't happen overnight. But I also feel like when you do read the principles of it, at least it makes you aware. And for for the holidays, I mean, there's there's another two, three weeks. I mean, my advice would be at least number one, which is which should be a bit easier to do is is sort of try to practice mindful eating when you're eating. So try to remember to eat slowly. Try to make sure you're sitting down when you're eating and, and make sure you don't feel guilty about the food you're, you're, you're eating because otherwise the craving is not satisfied. And in parallel, just give yourself that unconditional permission to eat where, you know, you're, you're, you, you, you do eat the things that probably will happen only once a year and, and don't feel bad about it. So I think the, the other principles of intuitive eating might take a bit longer to sort of just practice, but at least mindful eating is something that, that also works wonders uh, initially. And it's not, I mean, it's a bit hard to practice eating slowly, yeah. but you'll get there. So, yeah. Are there any sort of basic tips that you can share around eating during the holidays? I think, I mean, in general, try to still follow certain healthy eating rules. So I would suggest, I mean, remember to drink enough water. Watch out for, you know, all the drinks that are loaded with sugar. So maybe look at reducing that. Uh, everyone who knows me knows that uh, there is no, no, no in my dictionary. So uh, I don't think anything is not allowed. This is why I would say, you know, drink less sugary drinks versus avoid le less sugary drinks. So less sugary drinks. Uh, try to be careful with alcohol. A lot of uh, a lot of us, you know, there's a lot of that going on around the holidays. Maybe you want to stick more to wine over cocktails. Is that is is being careful around alcohol? because 
not only because of the effects of alcohol on your body, but also because if you are inebriated, you're less likely to be able to listen to your hunger cues. It is. I mean, in general, alcohol makes you overeat. Uh, yeah. And generally, it increases your craving for sugar, salt, and fat. So, okay. so you do want to be slightly careful with that. A good way to reduce your alcohol consumption is having a glass of water between every drink. Usually that helps and it doesn't make you feel like you're not enjoying, you know, drinks with everyone else. Mm -hmm. I would also say, you know, try not to uh, go to a a party or a restaurant starving, because if you do that, you're going to end up also overeating. So, um, I mean, you want to go hungry, but don't go too hungry. So just make sure sort of, you know, you have a snack before, at least that you're not starving before a party. What's a good snack to have? Like if you're going to someone's house at, let's say, 8 p.m., but you know chances are dinner is not going to be served until 10 and it's just going to be a lot of sort of small nibbles around that maybe you don't want to eat before you sit at the table. I had read that a really good snack to have before you leave your home is something that's high in protein. So something like boiled eggs or I quite like tuna on rice cakes, something like that. Exactly. I was just going to say, ideally high protein, uh, peanut butter is a great option. Mm. Like peanut butter on toast would be a great option. Even cheese and bread uh, would work. And the reason is that protein takes a longer time to digest, right? So you'll be fuller for longer. Exactly. Uh, And it doesn't spike up your sugar levels so so that when you do arrive, it won't it won't spike up your sugar level, so you won't be starving by the time you arrive as well. So, so definitely, I mean, try not to go to 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 a dinner party very hungry. I don't want to say you know keep your exercise uh, on track, but at least if you're not going to keep your exercise on track, try to be mindful of of moving. So you know, just be a bit more active during the day, whether it's through walking. There's a lot of different ways you can stay active without you know needing to physically go to the gym or or properly exercise. And then I would say you know portion control uh, and moderation. So. It, it is important to sort of balance things out. If you do feel like you're having, you're going to probably have a big, big meal over lunch. Maybe you're, you're going to have a smaller meal over dinner. And this is where sort of, you know, also listening to your hunger levels and, and, and your fullness cues might, might also come into place. And last thing, obviously, which is, has been, I think, the theme of, of our talk is obviously like enjoy food and, and sort of don't feel guilty about it and practice mindful eating on it. Should we be prepared going into to the next few weeks that we are going to maybe feel a little bit worse than normal? Like it's, it sounds like a weird thing to say, but for, <laughs> for instance, in, in, in my family's case, we usually, there's usually a Christmas dinner we go to on the 24th. And then on the 23rd, sorry. And then there's Christmas Eve on the 24th. And then there's the 25th with my family, 25th in the evening with my my in-laws, yeah. my husband's family. 26th is my dad's birthday. By the time wow. we get to 27, <laughs> like, I think it doesn't matter how intuitively we eat. Yeah. That, like the, the, the fact that you're eating, you know, probably 
sugar on a daily basis, which you don't normally, the fact that you're yeah. drinking alcohol on a daily basis, which you don't normally. By the time we get to, and my birthday is December 30. Like by the time wow. I get to my birthday, I don't want to do anything. I don't yeah. just, you know, I don't want to eat anything. <laughs> you don't even want to see food probably. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why like when we get around to January 1st, it's always like everyone's New Year's resolutions are always like, just stay home for the next month. Yeah. Don't drink. Don't. <laughs> but so my question is, is it almost a given that you should expect to to feel a little bit different than you normally feel? That yes, if you are a person who weighs themselves every day, although that that's like I know that's terrible. I don't do that anymore. Good. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> if you are a person that weighs themselves every day, yes, your weight is going to go up on the scale. You are going to have some water retention from the maybe the types of food and the alcohol. And to just cut yourself so much slack? I, I mean, I personally think so. I think the holidays uh, are a great time to sort of, you know, just be around family and enjoy things. And, and the last thing you want to be doing is over obsessing over food or feeling very guilty about it to a point where it ruins the, the joy and the experience yeah. of the holidays. That's so again, sad in a way, right? It is. It is. And I, you know, it, 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 uh, I mean, food is what makes all these gatherings, the social aspect of it. So I think just let it be for the, for two weeks at the end of the day. I mean, or even the, the two weeks or 10 days, you know, leading up to the new year, what's really the worst that's going to happen. You might gain one to two kilos. I mean, it's not, not the end of the world uh, at the end of the day. That's true. In 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 comparison to the memories and the times you're gonna the memories you're gonna make and the time you're gonna spend with the people. Exactly. You love. Yeah. yeah. And and to be fair, it's it's practically impossible to gain more than that. Like, I mean, how much food could you be eating? So mm. so it's it's really not that bad the damage of yeah. it. So so let's all take a deep breath and enjoy the next few weeks. <laughs> exactly. Um my last question is what if someone has and and this is something that I'm familiar with from from previous years. What if you've you've you binge ate your way through the holidays and you wake up after them and all you want to do is restrict and you feel really bad about what you did and there's a lot of guilt and your first instinct is to sort of punish yourself by um, either you know not eating much over the next few days or you know, eating or, or, or eating specific things. What, what are your advice for, for, for those people? I think, I mean, research shows that 95% of diets fail. And one of the main reasons why they fail is because they put you in a cycle of restriction, which causes you to deprive yourself, which ends up making you overeat. So what I would like people to remember is that diets don't work and them restricting themselves uh, maybe will work on the shorter term. Maybe it will help them for two, three weeks, but then it's going to end up eventually, which which is very normal for it to happen. They're going to end up overeating at some point, and then they're going to be in that vicious dieting cycle that no one wants to be in. So what I would suggest is sort of, you know, they kind of re-recenter, realign sort of, you know, their, their eating habits and their thoughts and just sort of do it gradually. Again, by sort of following the non-diet approach, uh, their body, they will be able to lose weight by practicing intuitive eating, by practicing mindful eating. 
I always tell my clients, you know, there's no point in stressing over what's done. There's no point in feeling bad about mm -hmm. what's happened. What's important is sort of we turn a new page, a, 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 you know, a white blank sheet of paper. And what's really important is, is sort of a lot of people have tried diets, you know, most of their lives. A lot of people know that they don't work. So why not try something differently? Uh, yes, I agree. It might take slightly longer than, you know, the typical diet approach of, you know, a thousand calories a day or, or any of those high protein, low carb diets. But for the longer term, you're actually doing much more and it's a much more sustainable approach to weight loss. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think in, in my case, I don't know if you'll tell me if this is I'm doing this wrong or right, but if I've gone through a period of a lot more eating because of, you know, more social events or more stress or whatever it is, it's more about for me, it's more about what I add into my diet than what I remove from it. So instead of making like sitting there and be like, OK, no carbs, no bread, what, what the, the no whites diet, whatever it is, mm. which is like no potatoes, pastas, bread. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it's more about adding a lot more water, a lot more fruits and vegetables, especially mm. vegetables, uh, add a green juice every day. And it's more about, it, it's not trying to subtract things and yeah. restrict as much as it is like how, what are ways in which you could care for your body? Exactly. All right, Maria, thank you so much. It was really great talking to you. It was a pleasure. I hope that our listeners have picked up some really helpful tips from our conversation. And uh, happy holiday season. Merry Christmas. I hope Merry to see you Christmas. soon after happy COVID. Hopefully. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye, Maria. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you're not familiar with goodness, head to www.goodness.me to access the online platform and articles and follow us at goodness on Instagram. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review and share it and we'll see you next week.